up tonight. Everybody okay? All right. Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you have tuned in. Uh, anybody with prayer need tonight, you'll just signify by lifting your hand. Um, let's uh, pray for Christy uh, Stry. Her father passed away, uh, so we want to uh, lift that family up in prayer and uh, keep praying for revival. You know, we uh, started that family series on Sunday, and uh, let's pray for our families during this, that God would really do something in our in our families. Father, tonight we're grateful to be together and to be in your house and to study your word. Lord, thank you for just your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, thank you that we can look back and see all the ways that you've always been there for us. And Lord, tonight for the privilege, uh, Lord, that you invite us uh, to come and to approach you for our time of need. And I thank you for that. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is sufficient for all of our need. And I pray for every hand that went up in the building uh, tonight that, Lord, just signifies a need in our life. I pray, uh, Lord, for those that need a healing touch. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would grant that. Lord, thank you that, uh, again, that healing is part of who you are. It's part of your covenant, uh, a revelation of who you are. And I pray... I, I pray for those that just need that physical touch tonight, those in the hospital. Lord, those that are home tonight not feeling well. Uh, Lord, we pray for those that have lost loved ones. We lift up Christy and her family, uh, Lord, as they've lost their loved one. I pray, God, that you would, again, send forth the, the, the paraclete, the one called alongside to comfort and to strengthen them. And, uh, Lord, we pray for revival, uh, Lord, in our land. And, again, as we pray, Lord, let it begin with us, Lord. Open, uh, just creating us that, that hunger and that desire to not just to, to know about you, but to know you. Uh, Lord, I pray for all the ministries that are taking place on campus tonight. I pray, Father, that you would be with us in our time of study. Uh, Lord, open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this time and service to you now. Thank you for all that you do. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we all said amen. Amen. God bless you tonight uh, as you're seated. Uh, go ahead and turn to Genesis 1. Uh, we're going to go all the way to the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> And if you don't know where Genesis 1 is, uh, just flip the cover and there you are. <laughs> um, in way of announcements, just a couple things. Um, I do want to, uh, I didn't announce this Sunday and I, and I apologize. Uh, it may not address many here tonight. But anyway, we are having our newcomer lunch, newcomer's lunch. If somebody is new into our BT family, hasn't attended one of our newcomer lunches, we're going to do that on April the 30th following the morning service, the 1045 service. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet, Devin, at the hub. Okay, so there is a sign-up sheet at the hub, but uh, we'll try to push this. We have quite a few new families in Bethel, and we want to give them the opportunity to, to just visit with us, uh, hear who we are, and, uh, and, and go from there. Also, uh, next Thursday is our next food distribution. Remember, we added a second one, so now on the second and fourth Thursday of the month, we'll be uh, distributing food. The second Thursday is at the Yellow Jacket Stadium. The fourth Thursday is right out here in the church parking lot. So uh, we have that going on. And, uh, again, there are other things. The ladies, don't forget, next Friday and Saturday is the women's conference with Sheila Ruffin. Uh, you don't want to miss that. I know it will be a wonderful time, and uh, God will certainly bless for that. Uh, let's go ahead, and tonight I'm going to begin a new series, Got Questions?, um, and I did one of these years ago, uh, some years ago, where we, uh, I actually took questions from, from uh, the body, and we tried to answer some of those questions. And I'm just going to, uh, I mean, you're welcome to submit questions if you want to, uh, but I did, I have several questions that are typically asked, um, and so I want to kind of address those. And tonight, uh, very first one, and this, you know, some of these are going to be really involved, and I'll do my best to just really dig those things out. But tonight we're going to be talking about, is Genesis reliable? Is Genesis reliable? And you'll understand the title as we get into it. So let's read Genesis 1. Uh, let's read verses 1 and 2. Again, most of us could quote it. But in the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So again, uh, we're just going to jump in, and, and some of these, uh, uh, again, I think that we ought to be knowledgeable 
of Scripture. One of the things that we started, um, one of the purposes that our Wednesday night format has been like this uh, from day one. Uh, day one, we have always had a Bible study. We have, we have studied books of the Bible. We have studied topics. Uh, and, and the whole idea behind it is really, again, the command to make disciples uh, and to really dig deep. And so uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the common questions regarding our faith. And they'll cover a wide variety of topics so that maybe we can hit something that might be of interest to you. Um, but I want to start with this statement here because if you've been here really any length of time, you've, always, you've heard me say this, and I've said it many times, that Christianity will stand up to honest scrutiny. It, you know, it's one of those things that we have to understand that Christianity will stand up to honest inquiry. You know, you think about um, the case for faith with Lee Strobel, who uh, as an atheist set out to, a journalist set out to disprove Christianity, and the more he uh, studied and researched the more convinced he was that Christianity is accurate in, in the doctrine in which we believe. And so, again, it will, it will stand up to honest scrutiny. Uh, and, 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 again, I think sometimes we, we as Christians, we fear questions. But I want you to understand God is not intimidated by questions. He's not intimidated by questions. In fact, truth is never threatened by honest questions. Now, much of what we have today it's not honest questions, but rather an attempt to prove one's biases. Um, but again, if a person who truly, truly wants to seek the truth, Jesus said you will know the truth. Truth is not hidden. It is a revelation. That's why I say whenever we have an unsaved person in our family or a loved one or a friend, that we have to pray the prayer, God, open the eyes of their understanding that they might see your truth and believe. Because it is a divine thing. It is a revelation or illumination of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a spiritual thing. And so we have to pray for an enlightenment. Uh, but again, truth is, is never afraid of questions. And yet today we have people that are throwing things out, not in honest inquiry, but more of a way to prove or try to substantiate their biases. Now, as we jump into this series, uh, one thing I want you to remember is that there are some questions for which we have no answers. Amen? There are some questions for which we have no answers. And I would always say, be careful of someone who, who speaks to something that is not revealed in Scripture. Be, be careful that somebody speaks when the Scriptures are silent. Um, because that's a very dangerous thing. Um, so, again, we have to understand there are some questions that... that we, we will not have answers to because, again, we're finite beings with limited knowledge in a world that's created by an infinite God without limitations. In fact, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, you know it well, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Uh, so, in other words, God's in a whole different league <laughs> When it comes to knowledge and understanding, he's, on, he's omniscient, and we're not. Now, one of the things I've, another thing I've always said is that the Bible is not an exhaustive concordance of everything that God has done. Uh, you know, I don't read the Bible as a list of do's and don'ts. That's not how you read the Bible. It's not a, an exhaustive concordance of everything that God has done. It is a revelation of God. That's what the Bible is. It's a revelation of God. When we read it, we learn who God is. We learn of God. We learn enough to know God, to know what he's like, and to build a relationship uh, with him. So, again, this means that there will be questions that, that we will live with that we have to defer to the character of God and see, as, see him as he's revealed in Scripture. In other words, there are some things that we are faced in life that just because we know God, we know what the answer is. Right? When you know God, you know, it's like if you've been married a long time, you pretty much know how your husband or your wife is going to respond. You, you already know because you know that person. You know, you know they don't like anchovies on their pizza. I don't know anybody does. I'm just using that for an example. Uh, you know, we, but you know that, you know. So that's really the idea behind the Bible is that we read the Scriptures 
and we get a revelation of God, we know his character, we know his nature, so that when we are faced with a situation that the Bible may not speak specifically to, we know his character and we already know what to do. So, now with that said, there are truths that we can know, okay? And these truths can form the foundation upon which you and I build our lives. And that's one thing missing today in our culture, truth. Right? Truth is missing in our world. In fact, in the past 20 years or so, there has been a great disconnect. It's probably longer than that, but at least in the last 20 years or so, there's been a great disconnect uh, from the Bible, and the consequences are society today is in a free fall. I mean, it's it, it just absolutely astounding to me how fast we have, we have gone from one, I thought couldn't get any lower than that, to where we are today. It's, it's, it's astounding to me. Um, the anchor, the only anchor for times like these is God's word because his word is eternal. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 25, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. So, so with all the changes in our culture, with all of the shifting sands of, of what's popular and in vogue today and all of these things, uh, it's wonderful to know that we have a faith that is from everlasting to everlasting because it's built on the eternal words of God that do not change. There's no variableness, no shadow of turning with him. And, uh, and, and again, heaven and earth will pass away. But he said, my words will not. So, so let's kick off tonight by answering this question. Is Genesis reliable? Because I, I really think it's an important start. Uh, I, I think if we want to finish well, we have to start well. And, and I think a foundation is important. So, so as we kick this off, is Genesis reliable? My answer is simple, absolutely. I firmly believe what Paul said uh, to Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy 3 when he said, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I believe that God has given us the word. It is divinely inspired. It is unlike any other book that has ever been written. Uh, again, we could talk about the specifics of how the Bible was written over 1,500 years and in several different countries, uh, different cultures, and yet the Bible has an amazing continuity to it and a unity of Scripture. It's an amazing thing. As we start out with Genesis, one thing to know about Gen or many things to know, but uh, Genesis was written by Moses, okay? So Moses wrote Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which are known as the Pentateuch or the Torah. So here's some facts about, the here's some facts about Genesis that kind of lay a good foundation from which we can start. Because, again, if the foundation is not done right, how many, uh, when, when I was an inspector in Irving back years ago, there was an area, in fact, it's still, there's still an area, but, but one of the areas that uh, North, North Irving off of Beltline Road, they have a real bad problem with, with soil shifting, the ground. And so there were, uh, there were townhomes that listed on the tax roll uh, back then. That would have been in the mid-'90s. These, these townhomes would have been $180,000 uh, in the mid-'90s, so, uh, but they were worthless because they were not livable, because the ground had shifted under these buildings and there were cracks and, and uh, doors wouldn't shut and windows wouldn't shut. And, and again, uh, you, you look, there's ways you can build in, in soil that's like that, but it, you've got to spend a lot of money and a lot of time shoring up the foundation. What I'm saying, if we're going to build a successful Christian life, we have to make sure the foundation is built properly. Invest in it. Don't let builders cut corners with the foundation. Okay? So we're going to start there. Right off the bat, one of the things I want you to notice about Genesis is that the Bible doesn't start out like a fairy tale, right? It, no, no, you don't see it say once upon a time in a land far, far away. That's not what it says. In fact, the Bible, the actual statement is in the beginning, God. Another thing about Genesis I think we ought to know is that the genealogies in Genesis, again, all the way through chapter 50, whatever it is, um, they name names of actual people. You know, so if people want to come up and they want to question the Bible, they want to question Genesis, again, particularly with the creationism that we're, we'll talk about, 
the Genesis records genealogies that actually name people who lived in very specific times in history. These things are known fact. In fact, the entire framework of Genesis is built around genealogies. Number three, Jesus himself. When you read uh, in the Gospels, Jesus confirmed that Moses was the author in John 5. He said, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Again, Jesus validates Moses writing uh, the first five books of the Bible. Number four, the scribes and the Pharisees referred to Moses, again, themselves as the author of the first five books. Matthew twenty two twenty four. they said, Teacher, Moses said, Moses said, again, validating Moses. Jesus quoted in Matthew 19, four, uh, verses 4 and 5, he quoted Genesis 2, 23 and 24 when he was referring to the marriage covenant, talking about the marriage covenant. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one. Jesus quoted that. Again, validating uh, Genesis. Number six, Jesus also validates or acknowledges Noah and the flood. Matthew 24, 37, Jesus said, For as, the, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Again, what is he doing? He's validating the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul himself gets involved. He affirms Adam and Eve as real people. 1 Timothy 2, 13, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So he acknowledges they are real people. You know, a lot of people want to say they're myths. You know, they're metaphorical people. No, they were real people. And Paul acknowledges that in the New Testament. Paul also, in Galatians chapter 4, holds up Abraham and Sarah as models of faith in his letter, again, in that letter to the Galatians. Here's what he said. He said, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Again, all of these things are evidence. Apostle Paul himself gets into, uh, into it when he starts validating or confirming a worldwide flood. 2 Peter 3, 6. The world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Again, another verification. Last one. I mean, you could be, we could be here a long time because, again, there are a lot of evidence, evidences or proof that the Bible, again, is accurate, it's true, you can build your life on it. You can build your faith on it. You can have confidence that when you read, uh, you're reading the Word of God. Number 10, one, uh, one commentator, this was a kind of interesting trivia, found that 165 passages in Genesis are either <coughs> directly quoted or clearly referred to in the New Testament. 165. That's pretty substantial in my book. You know, when you start, when you talk, talk about building reliability, you have to look at the, at the evidence. And there's a tremendous amount of data that validates Genesis and that Moses was the author of Genesis. And so here's the thing. If that's true, then it is also true that we must accept what it teaches regardless of what society, sociologists, or secular scientists might say, right? If it's been validated, if we can say without a doubt that then, then the claims that it makes, we must adhere to regardless of what modern culture says. In fact, I think we have to, perform, we have to be like what Jude says in Jude 3. He said, you know what, I, I was going to write to you. I thought it necessary to write to you, uh, you know, about the common faith. He said, but I felt like there was an urgency that I should write to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And, and I think today in the 21st century, 2023, we need people that will contend for the faith. Not be embarrassed by it, but contend for it. Contend, what does that mean? It means to defend. It means defend the faith by standing up for it. You know, Genesis is referred to as the book of, be of beginnings. The book of beginnings. Genesis means uh, origin or source or birth. So that's where it began and that's where we start. Chuck Swindoll uh, does a really good job of giving an outline. And sometimes it's helpful to have an outline. If, I don't know if you read in your devotion time, if you read any types of Bible aids and things like that, but, but outlines are really helpful to break down uh, the, the books of the Bible. And the outline he used, and I really thought it was pretty good, Genesis. So here's the outline that he uses when studying the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 through 11 deal with the human race, okay, the beginning and the human race. 
Chapters 12 through 50 explain God's promises to the chosen race. Okay, so the first chapters describe four, majors, four major events, okay? You have the creation, you have the fall, you have the flood, and you have the nations. And the last 75% or so of the book focuses on four main characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Another outline I found I thought was uh, uh, helpful as well is Genesis, or excuse me, generation is in Genesis 1 and 2. Degeneration is in Genesis 3 through 11, and then regeneration is in 12 through 50. Again, outline, you know, if you're not that type of person, here, here's the last one, okay? I just think they're, they're helpful if you're trying to study just to kind of get a rhythm to what the Bible's. Here's another one. Creation, chapters 1 and 2. Catastrophe, chapters 3 through 9. Confusion, chapters 10 and 11. And covenant, chapters 12 through 50. That's a simple outline of, of Genesis that gets us to where we need to be. This book provides a foundation upon which the rest of the Bible is built upon. Jay Baxter writes, besides being introductory, Genesis is explanatory. The roots of all subsequent revelation are planted deep in Genesis, and whoever would truly comprehend that revelation must begin here. In other words, he's saying, if we want to understand what the rest of the Bible says, we have to understand what it says in Genesis. If I want to build again, on a firm foundation, then I have to start with the foundation, the beginning, Genesis. So let's, let's, let's look at it in the beginning, okay? So the opening verse of the Bible uh, is perhaps the most controversial scripture probably in all the Bible. It simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now think about that statement there for a minute. If, if, you, if you've ever done any type of science uh, in school, uh, you have you have skeptics and 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 other learned people that have taken aim uh, at the at the opening verses of Genesis. Uh, they argue things like it's absurd to believe in a six day creation. Anybody ever heard something like that? You know, there are people that say, you know what, it's ridiculous that you believe in a six day creation. Or even some would say it's it's foolish to think that Adam and Eve were real people, a talking serpent, a Garden of Eden. Noah and the ark, a worldwide flood, the Tower of Babel. I mean, there are a lot of things. I mean, you can get into Genesis chapter 6 and start talking about the Nephilim. And, again, there's a lot of things that, in fact, I've talked Genesis 1 through 11. It's been many years ago. Uh, and, you know, people take a lot of exception because if you start with God, that means that we're accountable to God. And if you discount God, then you can live. If life is nothing more than an oops, an accident, uh, you know, a mistake, then, then life has no value. But if life begins on purpose, with purpose, then that changes everything. You know, the sad reality is that there are many believers today because we uh, have constantly been berated because we believe in creation. We believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We believe in a, uh, a literal place called the Garden of Eden. We believe in Adam and Eve. We believe the serpent uh, was crafty and deceived her, and she deceived him, and, and, and Adam ate, or she ate and gave it to Adam. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Many believers today have been so berated down through the years that many believers have either bought into this or they're embarrassed to say, I believe in creation. That's why I'm saying Jude says, contend for the faith. I, I'll just stand here and tell you I'm unashamedly creationist. I believe in creation. You've heard me say this before in college. I, I was in, in a geology class. I had geology. I love geology. I think geology is a wonderful science. But they teach evolution. And I can remember many times getting into a, a real heated discussion <laughs> with my professor, who was an avowed atheist and evolutionist. And finally, we got to the point where he just looked at me and he said, look, I don't care what you believe, but in my class, if you're going to pass the grade, you got to answer it the way I want you to. I'm like, okay, whatever, but stupid. <laughs> you know, that, always got to have that rebel in me. 
you know, but again, I'm unashamedly creationist. I see no disconnect between the biblical account and modern science. None whatsoever. I do see a problem when Christians attempt to squeeze biblical revelation into man's science. I do see a problem with that. It was kind of funny because now things are being verified that were in Scripture. I mean, you talk about tribes of people that people said never existed, and yet archaeology and discoveries that have been as recent as, you know, I mean, we, we've got new discoveries even in the 20, uh, 21st century. New discoveries, new revelations of, of things that prove the Scriptures. Again, I, but we have a lot of people today, a lot of Christians that are ashamed to stand up and articulate their faith. That they're a creationist. Since Genesis 1-1 is true, and I love what this pastor said. Here's what he said. He said, because Genesis 1-1 is true, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Because it is true, naturalistic evolution as a worldview is diametrically opposed to biblical faith. It is, a, it is pagan at its root and evil in its fruit. I like that. You know, we call it. Today, you have a bunch of Christians that are trying to marry up biblical revelation with scientific research. They call that theistic evolution, which means that the method in which God used to create this world was through the evolutionary model. Baloney. I believe that God spoke just like he said, and he formed and he created all that there is. You know, I think another way of looking at it, when you start talking about Genesis, if Genesis is not true, then the whole Bible is suspect. If Genesis is not true, the whole Bible is suspect. If we can't trust what is written in Genesis, then how, how can we trust the rest of the Bible? A.W. Pink says that Genesis, he's, he actually calls it the seed plot of the Bible. The seed plot of the Bible. He said if we were to discount Adam and Eve, how can we be sure that Christ is real? If we discount Adam and Eve, how can we be sure that Jesus Christ was real? Genesis either explains it all or it doesn't explain it at all. <laughs> it either explains it all or it doesn't explain it at all. We either believe or we don't. And if we don't, then, I, then we can't believe anything else the Bible says. If we believe it, then we can believe everything else the Bible says. It starts there. So let's look at some truths about Genesis. Again, I told you some of this will be heavy. <laughs> you know, I started out with a real, really good one. Here's here, number one. Let's look at six truths from Genesis. Number one, God is eternal. God is eternal. I want you to notice right off the bat, there is no argument for the existence of God. The writer of Genesis, Moses, does not set out to try and prove that God exists. In fact, uh, he makes this this. Again, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is logical. The Bible says that all the evidence is around us. Remember that what the Bible said? That's what Paul said in Romans. He talks about the earth moaning for the day of redemption. David said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So when he begins... He doesn't set out to try and give you a logical explanation of where God came from. He just simply says, in the beginning, God. The assumption is that anybody with a thinking brain can look around and understand there's God. The name for God here is Elohim, and it's in the plural, meaning that there is one God made of a plurality of people. We call it the Trinity. He is referred to by named 35 times in the first 34 verses. God's not a small part of the beginning. He is the beginning. God had no beginning. He has no ending. In fact, Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, what? You are God. Again, right off the bat, one of the truths of Genesis is that God is eternal. Where did God come from? Well, it's not a question we can answer. He's always been, and he always will be. Today, that's not good enough for people. They want to find loopholes, but at some point, you know, Hebrews, what did Hebrews say? By faith, we believe. Number two, the second thing we need to know about Genesis, not only is God eternal, but God created everything. 
God created everything. The second part of verse 1 is, a, again, a very profound and yet very simple that anybody can understand it. Again, if you've got a brain, you look at it, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. Plain and simple. Now, it's interesting because the word created, as it's used throughout the Bible, only refers to when God is the subject. God created. Elohim brings design out of disorder when he created the, the, the uh, cosmos out of chaos. He's the one that created or birthed beauty out of barrenness. It, he continues to do the same thing today. Verse 7, and God made the expanse. Verse 16, and God made the two great lights. Verse 21, so God created the great sea creatures. Verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made. God created everything. So, so can we believe in creationism? Ab absolutely. If we believe the Bible, we have to believe that God created the world because it states that he did. Again, if reason alone doesn't convince us of creation, then again we have to go back to, uh, I just said it, Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was what? Was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, in the vast spanse of nothingness, God spoke, said, let it be, and there it was. Order. I don't have time. I did it when we did the Genesis 1 through 11 years ago. I don't have time in this setting to do that. But it's interesting to me that if, every, if things were off just one, one smidget, if the axis of the earth was tilted just a little bit, life would not be possible. If we were closer to the sun or, closer, or the moon was closer to the earth, life wouldn't be possible. And they want to tell us that it is all by chance that this thing fell into place the way that it did. God's creation is pervasive. Again, when, we, when you and I look at the sky, and we, we're gazing at God's creation. When we look at nature, there's nothing that we see that he has not created. Again, we can use a, and it doesn't matter what we use. We can use a telescope or a microscope, but everything that we see has been created by God. Revelation 4.11 puts it like this. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Did you get that? By his will they existed and were created. Let there be, and there was. Not only was his creation pervasive, it was personal. And the reason I say that is God was not aloof in all of this. He was involved. He was active in creation. See, God that we serve, the God of the Bible, is not detached from his creation. He's not somewhere out in the cosmos. He didn't wind things up, you know, with that little winder and just set us off and we're spinning around just waiting for that thing to wind down. He didn't do that. He's actively involved. He didn't just, he's not just some deity that flung the stars uh, and all that exists from a distance. He didn't do that. I think it was Bette Midler years ago sang a song. In fact, my wife one time, and I, I again, maybe I read too much into it, but uh, she sang a song years ago called From a Distance. And I didn't like that song because God's not from a distance. He wasn't, and, and again, I may be reading totally into, wrong into that song, but I just, when I, when I heard it like from a distance, God's not watching me from a distance. God does not, he's not aloof, he's not way out. It's personal. God took what was form, formless and empty, and he filled it with purpose and meaning. Last part of verse 2 says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's an interesting statement there. In Genesis 1-1, he uses the word created, and, and that is a, in, in, in uh, grammar, it is what is called the simple, completed form. He created, boom, that's it. In the beginning, God created. But then you get to verse 2, this last part there, the word hovering, is in the intensive form, meaning that the Spirit was moving continually. It's kind of like what Paul meant when he said in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, where is it excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Is a continuing? The Spirit of God was not, didn't just hover, he was hovering. He was hovering. 
Beautiful, Hebrew word, beautiful word. In fact, you find it again in Deuteronomy 32.11. It's used to describe how a mother eagle carry, uh, cares for her little uh, eaglets as she hovers over them, providing care and protection. That's the idea that Moses picks up when God, God's spirit hovered over the vast emptiness. God is personally present as he hovers over this unformed, lifeless material, and then he births it into being. He spoke, and there it came. Again, another part of this creation, it was personal, but it was proclaimed. Nine times in the first chapter, we read, and God said. How did God do this? He said it. See, the problem is a lot of people have questions that, again, they don't want to accept the answer. How did God create everything? He spoke it, and God said That's all the Bible says. And again, at some point, we've got to, I either believe it or I don't. And God said. And then it's followed by, and it was so. (laughs) You want to know how God created the heavens and the earth? He spoke it, and it happened. And God said, and so it was. He spoke, and the stars filled the sky. He spoke, and the birds began to fly. He spoke, and the fish swam in the oceans. It was so. This is called... I always pronounce it wrong, ex nihilo, nihilo. creation ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing. Everything that is made was made by him, for him, without him there's nothing made that is made. Listen, all God had to do was speak the word. All he had to do was say the word. Psalm 33, 6 and 9 says, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made and the earth, uh, excuse me, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their host, for he spoke and it came to be. I think we got a pretty good start. Again, another thing about creation, it was very precise. Nothing about creation is haphazard. You know, I always made a joke back years ago uh, when I talked about Genesis in, in, uh, quite a bit, is when God created everything, notice the order in which he created. He, so, so take like on, on, day, on day two, you know, he says, okay, well, today's schedule, I'm going to create the birds Now, I'm not going to create the air for the birds to fly in until Friday. I know they need air to fly, but that's coming later. So, birds, I'm going to create you, put you in the tree, but don't you try flying because the laws of aerodynamics don't work. You're going to to flop down on the ground and not go anywhere. Same thing with the fish. He didn't create the fish and then later on create the water. I know it's kind of... That's the way my brain works. He didn't create the fish and then, and then three days later make the water and say, okay, now fish, I'm, I'm making you today. You're going to just have to flop around on land for a while until I get the water made. No, everything that God created was in order. He created the air before he created the bird. He created the water before he created the fish. It was precise. Everything was in order as God needed it to be. Everything is organized and orderly. I once... Uh, I, I once was teaching a high school Sunday school class, and we were. Uh, one of their t- questions was about creation, and I said, "You know what? What modern man today wants us to believe?" And I pointed to a watch I had, and I said, "What they want you to believe is that if I were to take this watch down to every single component, every spring, uh, every wheel, uh, every gear, if I were to strip it down and put it in a jar, I said, how long do I have to shake that for it becomes a functioning watch?" And they laughed about it, and they said it would never happen. And I said, but that's what they want you to believe as to how we came about. You know, when you look at creation, there's not a sign of disorder. There's a sign of order. When God created, when God spoke, everything was precise, just like he wanted it to be. The complexity of nature, and again, we could get into uh, just how the blood works and and, you know, the mitochondria of the cells, how all of that stuff works. You know, I, I used to joke about, you know, how many of you before you sat down and ate prayed for your liver to work? I mean, your liver's got to work, right? If your liver don't work, you can't live, I mean, without artificial help. Who progr- I don't pray about my liver. Who made it work? God did. He created precisely the way it needed to be. It functions according to his order. Again, just the slightest variation, life would not be possible. God's creation, again, not only was it precise, it was perfect. I love this because at the end of every day of creation, remember what he said? 
and God saw that it was good. Six times God said it was good. On the sixth day, when he contemplated what he had created, when he watched the wonder that sprang into being by his word, verse 31 says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Human beings, number three, are the climax of creation. Again, as you read through the first uh, chapter of Genesis, it becomes clear that God created a fully functioning world for men to enjoy, for us. There are least, uh, so, so what is it about human beings? So when you look, start looking at the creation, there's a couple things. Number one, we come from dust. How did God create us? I didn't spring out of primordial soup in some cosmic past eons ago. Genesis 2-7, then God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. We were created from dust, and Genesis 3-19 says what? And to dust you shall return. That ought to keep everybody humble, right? <laughs> you know, these, these elites today that want to feel like they're better than everybody else, all you got to do is say, you're nothing more than just a pile of dust. And one day you'll be a pile of dust again. That's it. Not only are we created to dust, number two, about the creation of hum- humanity, mankind, we're created with dignity. With dignity. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Again, we're not some coincidental accident that happened in the cosmos. God made us with dignity, he made us with worth, value, and he made us with purpose. See, we are more than just matter because we matter to the Almighty. It's like I say all the time, we are born on purpose, with purpose. Every single human being born on purpose, with purpose, regardless of the circumstances of one's birth. And I think it's kind of interesting, but notice that in that 